Uh, my name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors here. I lead Pastor Paul. He is away for the weekend. And so it's my privilege to be able to open up God's word with you this morning. And so if you'll jump into Romans chapter 14, that's where we're going to be today. And uh, I'm just going to give you a heads up. We are like going to go verse by verse. So if you don't have a Bible, um, there's actually Bibles right over there and over there. If you want to grab one, you can take that home as a as a gift, if you'd like. But uh, we're gonna be we're gonna be there this morning. Before we do that, um, how are you guys doing for tomorrow night? Ready for Halloween? All right, okay. That was better better than first service. First service is crickets. Uh, for us uh, at the Steak Family, we also enjoy Halloween. I got my orange on today, by the way. Um, no, we love to dress up. The kids, of course, enjoy getting candy and all that good stuff, and uh, it's a lot of fun. Great chance to hang out with friends and neighbors and all that good stuff. Um, and for me, it actually goes, it goes back to when I was a kid, why I love Halloween. We lived in a parsonage next door to the church. My dad was a pastor, and he would invite all of our youth to come over to our house, and they would dress up in all kinds of different scary outfits, and they would hang on our big front porch, and then welcome the kids, and then scare them, and then give them candy, and all that good stuff. It was a way of you know, reaching out to the neighborhood. Um, but I do remember one time the youth pastor when I was, I think it was like eight or nine, his name was Bill Miller. And he was ripped. He was huge. And he was just a giant to me. And he dressed up in an outfit kind of actually like this. It was kind of a woodman type thing. And he had his chainsaw and he turned it on and he started chasing us around his kids in the front yard and the backyard. I was freaking out. Little did I know that he took the chain off. I didn't know that. I thought he was going to kill me. And so uh, Halloween brings up, you know, some great memories, but also some little scary memories there as well. And uh, I don't know about for you, but um, uh, you might have different opinions even on how to practice Halloween or even whether to participate in it or not. Maybe you're like, that's too scary, or there's some dark things that are connected to it. I'm not going to participate. Others of you are like, no, I'm in. I'm all the way in. Some of you are like, you know what? Certain types of costumes are okay, but I'm not letting my kid dress up as Freddy Cougar. Like, we're not doing that. Um, others of you are like, you know, we're going to reach out to the neighborhood. We're going to be relational with our neighbors and talk to them. And others of you are like, I'm going to pass out gospel tracts with every single piece of candy to tell people about Jesus. Some of you are like, I'm not even passing out candy. I'm going to pass out healthy snacks and fruit and a toothbrush to go with it. Now, there's all sorts of different practices and opinions about something as simple as Halloween. And the reality is... There's so many other things that we have thoughts and opinions about. So whether it's politics or health or sports or food or alcohol or entertainment or schooling, I mean, the list just goes on and on. Um, all of these are what the Apostle Paul, as we looked at last week, the beginning of Romans 14, he calls them opinions, or it can also be translated disputable matters meaning things that aren't clear in the scriptures. There's certain things in the Bible that's very clear, like this is, this is right, this is wrong, this is good, this is not good. Uh, but there's a lot of other things that we would call matters of conscience, where um, we're to take the Bible, where it doesn't give maybe a clear yes or no answer, and to do our best as Christians who are free in Christ to use wisdom to use discernment about what is best for us, you know, what's best for our family, what's best for, you know, whoever it is that you're making the decision for. But the challenge is, is we know what happens when we disagree, when we come to a different conclusion on these disputable matters. And I would say this is particularly challenging for us in the culture that we live in today. Um, there's a woman by the name of Deborah Tannen, 
And she is a professor at Georgetown University, and she wrote a book on what she called the argument culture. I just want to read this uh, quote to you from her. It says, The argument culture urges us to approach the world and the people in it in an adversarial frame of mind. It rests on the assumption that opposition is the best way to get anything done. In the argument culture, criticism, attack, or opposition are the predominant, if not the only ways of responding to people or ideas. And so she kind of concludes that um, because of this argument culture and this sort of atmosphere of animosity, it leads everyone to feeling more defensive, more vulnerable, more isolated, and more divided. And here's the crazy thing. That book was written in the 1990s. And so if we were to think about today, uh, there is no middle ground, right? Uh, And when there is no middle ground, we feel the need, because of our culture, we feel the need to not just offer up, but to shout out our opinions to those around us in order to be heard. And because this is the kind of the cultural area that we breathe, um, we can be tempted to follow the ways of the world when we disagree. But here's what I think is awesome. At the same time, because this is the cultural air that we breathe, we now more than ever have a wonderful opportunity to display to our world another way, a Christ-centered way to handle our disagreements. And uh, that's why I'm so grateful for Romans 14 and 15 that we've been making our way through. Uh, Here the Apostle Paul is graciously teaching the church at Rome how to live together and to love one another when they disagree. And, uh, and so this morning, <clears throat> just by way of reminder, I'm going to kind of introduce you to what we discussed last week, and then we'll move into the rest of chapter 14 today. Um, <clears throat> so we were introduced to the fact that there were some Jewish believers and some Gentile believers who were coming together as the body of Christ at Rome, and they had disagreements, it seems, at least in this passage, around two key issues. So one was what to eat, and the other was what days to worship. And for Jewish believers who, who kind of grew up with Old Testament laws and customs, <clears throat> uh, they didn't see certain meat as being clean. And so they refrained from eating that meat. While the Gentile believers, they were like, I'm going to eat whatever I want. Um, and then Jewish believers also, they tended to honor certain festivals and certain days and even the Sabbath as a particular holy day that was higher to worship than the others. While the Gentiles sought to really just kind of honor every day, uh, honor the Lord, kind of the same. And so to describe these two different groups of people, Paul uses the terms strong and weak. Um, now, I want to make it clear that, and Paul, Pastor, Paul, Pastor Paul talked about this last week, that these aren't terms related to someone's salvation. Uh, they're not even a description of their character or their convictions. In fact, the strong and the weak um, here at the Church of Rome both seem to have high character, Uh, They both seem to have strong moral convictions, but instead, Paul seems to more be referring to their theological maturity around these key issues. Uh, Are they mature in their faith? Do they understand and rightly apply the scriptures to to these two key areas? And so in this case, um, the strong really understand Jesus' teaching that all food is clean, Um, that really everything that you receive can be received with thanksgiving. Uh, and, and that what makes you clean is, of course, not what you eat, but it's, it's the Lord Jesus. He's the one who makes us clean. It's our heart uh, that is to be clean. And uh, alongside of that, uh, the Apostle Paul talks elsewhere in the book of Colossians. He says that all the holidays, um, all the festivals in the Old Testament were fulfilled in Christ. 
And so we don't have to honor those festivals in order to honor the Lord. But at the same time, the Jewish believers are like, but this is really important. Um, this, is, this is what we've grown up with. Uh, we want to honor the Lord in this way. <clears throat> and so here's, here's the idea. Um, some were seen as weak, some were seen as strong, but, but it's interesting because before you get the idea of like, oh, well, always the Jews are the weaker and the Gentiles are the stronger, it's actually the opposite in Corinth. So there, the Gentile believers, um, they refused to eat meat because it had been offered up to idols as a sacrifice, and they would sell it in the marketplace, and so these Jews would get the meat and they would eat it, and then Gentiles like, I am not touching that meat. Like, there's no way. That, that, I associate that to worship. And the Jews are like, well, but it's just an idol. It's just a stone statue. It's no big deal. But for the Corinthians, Gentiles, they're like, no, this is, I, was, I had to connect this to worship. I offered up that meat as an act of worship. I'm not going to eat that meat. So the reality is um, sometimes we might find ourselves in the strong camp. Sometimes we might find ourselves in the weak camp. Uh, based on our upbringing, based on our customs, based on our sin struggles before we were Christian, uh, all of these things might have an have a, have a impact on where we stand on particular issues. Now, some of you might be like, well, I'm always the strong Christian. You might just always have strong opinions, okay? You might not necessarily always be the strong Christian. Um, what are we to do, though, when we have differing opinions on certain topics and matters? that we feel are even sometimes important. What are we to do? Well, thankfully, the Apostle Paul gives some instructions to the church at Rome that we can easily apply today. We're not going to talk about the issue of clean food and unclean food. We're not going to get into that. We're more going to look at these key instructions, these principles, these kingdom ethics that we are called to follow. And last week, we looked at one key one. Um, and they all, by the way, today, they're going to all start with don't and do, all right? So the one that the Apostle Paul gave to us last week that we looked at was, don't despise or judge one another, but do welcome one another. And then I love this instruction because Apostle Paul always gives a gospel reason for it. So he says, hey, you're to welcome one another because God has welcomed you. In other words, you might have different opinions, but that doesn't keep Jesus from welcoming you into the body of Christ. And so you're not to use these differences of opinion to kind of judge or despise someone who thinks differently than you. No, welcome them. And in fact, just kind of FYI, when you see a gospel, uh, or excuse me, when you see a command or an instruction from the Apostle Paul, he always connects it to the gospel. So if you were to look at Ephesians 4.32 as an example, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Why? Because God in Christ has forgiven you. And so we're going to look at three more instructions this morning, three don'ts and do's that all have a gospel reason attached to them. But before I give them to you, let's go ahead and stand together, and we're going to read uh, this section of Scripture. Let's ask that God's Spirit would speak to our hearts. So this is Romans chapter 14, starting in verse 13. It says, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. 
For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us, not, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Let's pray. Lord, we just want to bring to you our hearts this morning, and God, we just confess to you that in this culture that we live in, that's so just filled with animosity and judgment, uh, lots of opinions, um, we just confess to you that sometimes our hearts can be, can be drawn into that. Um, and we just ask for you this morning that you would help us as the church, as the body of Christ, instead, as this passage says, to be filled with righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, would you help us to do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys can take your seats. And as I mentioned before, today's sermon is entitled, Don'ts and Do's. Uh, there's actually a lot of don'ts in this passage and a lot of do's, but I'm going to kind of summarize them with three. So instruction number one is don't cause someone to stumble. Do walk in love. Our gospel relationships are at stake. And that's kind of the first section, verses 13 to 15. And second, don't tear down. Do build up. Our gospel witness is at stake. And the last but not least, don't ignore conscience. Do live by faith. Our gospel integrity is at stake. And we'll, we'll, we'll walk through these, so don't be afraid. Um, we'll, cover, we'll cover all three of them, and you'll have plenty of time to take your notes. All right, so instruction number one, don't cause someone to stumble. Do walk in love. Our gospel relationships are at stake. All right, so Paul starts out, and we're going to go verse by verse through this whole passage of Scripture. Paul starts out in verse 13 um, with sort of a play on words. So he says, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide. Or what that also can be translated is, but rather pass judgment. He said, If you're going to make a judgment, here's what you make a judgment about. And he goes on, he says, never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. In other words, don't cause your brother or your sister to stumble. And then he uses two words. He uses stumbling block and hindrance. So stumbling block is sort of just an object in the road. That's something you might just trip over. Um, you know, you just, you just don't see it and you, hop, you, hit, you trip over it. Um, the other one is, is a hind, this hindrance it refers more to like the triggering mechanism on a baited animal trap. So the intent here is to trap, like the Haverlocks with the rats in their house. Yeah, sorry. Anyway, um, no, they're 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 getting rid of the rats. It's awesome. Um, that's not the that's, that's the in other words. Like regardless of whether it's inadvertent or it's purposeful, the point is you don't want to cause someone to stumble. Don't let someone's faith be shaken. Uh, in essence, he's saying, Paul is saying, like. We're walking as believers in the body of Christ. We're not walking in isolation. We're walking together down this road following Jesus. But when a strong brother sort of flaunts their liberties or their opinions in Christ, 
in front of a weaker brother or sister, we may either inadvertently or purposefully cause them to trip or fall in their faith. I was thinking about this, um, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago when I was preaching that we had an opportunity to go up to Louisville for a conference. And uh, after one of the sessions, there was a, a guy from one of the other churches, and he's like, hey, let's hang out together. Um, we'd love to do that. There's this kind of speakeasy place that has some drinks and things, and so we can hang out there. It'd be great to catch up. And I'm like, that sounds great. And then the guy next to me, who is uh, another friend of mine, was like, oh, I can't go. And right then and there, I completely forgot about the fact that he had, he's an alcoholic, and he can't have alcohol. Inadvertent, uh, wasn't intentional, but it was still, thankfully, in his particular case, he was strong in his faith to say no. But sometimes we can be inadvertent and cause someone to stumble. We need to be careful and watch out for that. Think of another illustration, though. In that case, I was more maybe the strong brother, you might say. In the other case, definitely more of a weak brother when it comes to Julia and I choosing movies. So there are certain movies, I'm like, that, if that is any sort of sexual innuendo, I can't see it. Um, sometimes she'll even cover my eyes if, if we end up watching. She's like, no, don't see it. Um, on the flip side, though, I'm going to get Julie on this one. She can't stand scary movies. So even like the PG movies that are kind of scary, she freaks out about. And so obviously, I don't watch a scary movie with her um, because it would cause her to have a bad dream, a nightmare. She can't sleep. Uh, and the idea here, though, is that we need to know one another, understand one another, and seek to live out the gospel with one another and not cause someone to stumble. If we are a brother or sister in Christ, we should want to help our brother and sister. We want to provide smooth pathways so they can follow after the Lord rather than setting a trap for them. And Paul warns us in verse 15, he says, for if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. So if your conviction or your opinion causes someone to stumble, you're no longer walking in love. If you harm someone out of your preference, you're no longer walking in love. Instead, you should let your strength be an opportunity to support the weak, to be patient with the weak, to walk slowly with the weak. And here's a little alliteration for you. Uh, I'll start with L. Let your limity, liberty be limited by your love. Say that five times fast. Let your liberty be limited by your love. Um, Pastor Kent Hughes, he tells this story about how uh, back in World War II, there were these convoys of allied troops and supplies that would travel on the seas as fast as possible to get to their destination, of course, to defeat the enemy. But they noticed that the enemy submarines would follow and trail and would take out the last vessel in the convoy. And slowly but surely, certain troops or certain supplies weren't getting where they were supposed to go. And so they changed their strategy to instead have the convoy go at the pace of the slowest vessel. And as a result, all of the troops and all the supplies got where they were supposed to go. And as we know, they won the war. And Kent Hughes, his point is he's saying, listen, you've got to slow down. Walk slowly with your brother or your sister. Follow the model of our shepherd Jesus, who leads the flock at the pace of the weakest lamb. In fact, it's interesting, the Apostle Paul kind of uses his strategy in this passage. So um, verse 14 he says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. That's his opinion. That's his statement. That's his belief. But it's interesting. 
He doesn't say it until verse 14. He could have said verse 1 of chapter 14. Hey, listen, guys, all food is clean. Uh, Jesus said it. I believe it. That settles it. Weak, get over it. No. He, hold, he, he holds on to his opinion until verse 14. And even after that, all of his instruction primarily is to the stronger brother, not the weaker brother. In other words, he's saying, hey, you might be weaker in the faith, but it's, it's okay. It's all right. We're going to walk slowly with you. Strong in the faith. Don't promote your freedom. No, instead, help the weak. Don't grieve the weak. Don't cause your brother or your sister to stumble. And here's what's interesting. He ties this gospel instruction with a kind of a gospel reason. Verse 15, he says, By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So he's like, hey, you know, don't cause someone to stumble. Do walk in love. Why? Because gospel relationships are at stake. Because Jesus died for your brother or your sister. He reminds them that this weak person in this area is someone for whom Christ died. In other words, they might be weaker in their faith in this particular area, but they are not weaker in value to Christ. He died for them just as much as he died for you. And in fact, we all at once were weak. If we remember back to our study of Romans chapter 5, what did Paul say there? He says, for while we were still weak, Christ died for the ungodly. So keep in mind who Jesus came to die for, who Jesus came to love. He said, when you're thinking you're being tempted to cause your brother or sister to stumble by, by putting out your beliefs and your strong opinions and arguing with them, instead, consider Jesus, who did not consider his rights as something to be grasped. He was God, but he gave up his rights to seek and to save the lost, to die for his people. So it's not a matter of rights. It's a matter of love. Walk in love the way that Jesus did. Seek to build gospel relationships that are governed by the love of Christ, not just your opinions. Andrew Murray puts it this way. He says, If Christ loved the weak believer to the extent of laying down his life for his salvation, how alien to the demands of this love is the refusal on the part of the strong to forego the use of a certain article of food. It's like, do you understand what Jesus gave up for the sake of you? Give up whatever it is that you seem to be holding on to. It's not important. Now, you may be fully convinced in your mind that you're right. You may have scriptural support for whatever it is in that particular matter. But Paul says, follow Jesus. Walk in love. Lay down your rights. Lay down your opinions. Lay down your arguing for the sake of loving your brother or your sister. So let me just ask you this question as we're kind of concluding this first point. How are you doing at that? How are you doing at walking in love with your opinions and your convictions? Are you quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger? Or are you quick to speak, slow to listen, and quick to anger? 
Do you seek to serve those with whom you disagree, or do you seek to argue and create division based on your preferences and your practices? In other words, would you rather be right or be in a right relationship? And this can be applied in so many different contexts. It can be applied in your marriage. It can be applied in your family. It can be applied in your workplace. It can be applied in your community group. There's so many different places, and Paul says, hey, don't cause someone to stumble. Do walk in love. Gospel relationships are at stake. All right, so that's number one. As we move into this next section, this next instruction, uh, we're going to continue on to kind of work verse by verse. So the Apostle Paul then says, number two, don't tear down, do build up. Gospel witness is at stake. All right, in this section, Paul seems to kind of move from the individual to a little bit more of an expanded view, a wider lens to a group. Um, but he starts out first by saying this. He says it twice. So look back at verse 15 really quickly. He says, um, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. And then down in verse 20, he says, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. These words for destroy, they're translated the same in the English, but they're actually two different Greek words. One means more to uh, lead someone to be lost, um, to kind of lose their way, to lose their path. The other one, it means to tear down. It means to be demolished. And in essence, Paul is saying, I want you to understand this. Each person is a work of God. That's why he says, don't destroy the work of God. Each person is a work of God purchased by the Son of God. Remember, it's for whom Christ died. They're purchased by the Son of God. They are inhabited by the Spirit of God. And when you seek to serve yourself rather than serve them, you are not serving Christ. You're tearing them down rather than building them up. And over time, each of these works of God is destroyed as they learn to go over and over again against their conscience. Like, oh, I didn't know that it was okay to do even though my conscience is telling me that it's probably not the best thing. Okay, I'll, I'll follow that. Or I don't really have a strong opinion about that, but you do, so I guess I'll go along with it. And before you know it, they're, they're going against their conscience. They're going against convictions, or maybe they don't even necessarily have convictions yet. And as a result, they're being destroyed. Their faith is becoming dissolved. Paul says, rather than coming together, display this unity and diversity in the body of Christ, we end up a group of isolated, divided believers all doing their own thing. We're supposed to be built up in love, built up as a building displaying the glory of Christ, and instead we're all tearing one another down. And here's the gospel reason for why this is so important. Verse 16, the Apostle Paul says, do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. That word, um, be spoken of as evil, it's trans translated, or translated from the Greek word blasphemia, where we get the word blaspheme. And it's usually used of unbelievers. And so Paul is saying, when you use your freedoms in Christ, which are good, to tear someone down, you not only destroy your brother or your sister, you also destroy your gospel witness. And hasn't that been the case recently? I mean, rather than the church loving and living together in harmony and serving one another, we've seen great division and strife in the American church. Our views on politics or masks or vaccinations or 
PPE money or just a whole host of different things. Our liberty has harmed our ability to tell the world about the love of Christ. Some of the unbelievers, they're like, well, y'all are just arguing the same way as we are. You guys might be arguing even more than we are. Why would I want to join that? And as a result, there is blaspheming. Christ is being spoken of as evil when we don't restrain ourselves. Paul then, though, gives us a different lens to look through. Look at uh, verse 17. He says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Uh, Pastor Kent Hughes, in his sermon, he says, The kingdom of God is not a matter of externals, but of eternals. It's like it's not about your preferences. It's not about just food and drink. That's not what the kingdom of God is about. Those things are here today and gone tomorrow. Don't make a big deal out of it. No, God's people are increasingly to display a kingdom, an eternal mindset, where these characteristics of Christ are being displayed more and more through us. You know, what if our... uh, our um, primary focus when we do share our opinions is not to win an argument, but display the characteristics of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. What if we fight more for those attributes than we do for our opinions? What if we're like, I don't care what this discussion is going to lead to from our opinions. What I want more than anything is for us to both be at peace for us to be in a right relationship, for us to walk away feeling more joy in the Holy Spirit. We have a disagreement. Paul says, rather than causing you know, your brother or sister to stumble, serve, bless those around you. And when you do, you begin to be built up as the kingdom of God. As Jesus says, you're a city set on a hill that's shining the light and the love of Christ to a lost and dying world. Be attractive to them. May Christ's character be displayed through you and through me so that they're attracted to that rather than repelled by our fleshly tendencies. When Paul says when we do that in verse 18, he says, whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. In other words, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're always going to believe an unbeliever, but it does mean that they look at us and they're like, yeah, they relate really well to one another. And we can begin to uh, invite them in more and more to understand how we operate, how we relate to one another. I was thinking about this um, just a few years ago. We had a creation symposium here. I don't know if you remember that, but the three different lead pastors from our three congregations all came together and all represented a different viewpoint on creation from Genesis 1 and 2. And uh, uh, unbeknownst to them, uh, one of the guys from Midtown, one of our members from Midtown, brought his unbelieving neighbor, who was also a doctor, and he had really strong opinions about biology and all that kind of stuff. And so after the symposium was over, um, you know, our Midtown member just asked the question, like, hey, what did you think? And he said, you know, my opinions haven't really changed, but what I really appreciated was the fact that all three men shared their opinions they listened to one another. They learned from one another. They said, oh, that's a good point. And then they went on their way. They got along. That's what we're to do. We're to display the love of Christ in our relationships. And I love how Paul concludes his section in this section 20, 21. It says, um, 
Well, I'm going to read down to 19 first. It says, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. So there's this building up, right? This beautiful building. And then he goes on. He says, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God, everything that is indeed clean, but is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. And then verse 21, it is good. In this case, not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. That word for good can also be translated beautiful. A lot of times we think about these opinions as kind of a right and wrong or just like a good or a not good. And that's true. But the purpose of our following these instructions is so that we would display beauty to the world. Rather than the ugliness of the world and the relationships that we see happening over and over again, instead we display the beauty of Christ. It brings joy to people's lives. It's attractive to the world, and ultimately it glorifies Christ. We join with God in building up this kingdom that's not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And we're increasingly displaying those attributes, and one day we will enjoy all of it perfectly when God's kingdom comes on earth the way that is in heaven. So that's instruction number two. Don't tear down, do build up. Our gospel witness is at stake. All right, last but not least, instruction number three. Don't ignore conscience, do live by faith. Our gospel integrity is at stake. We're gonna keep this one a little bit shorter. It's sort of a summary statement, these last two verses that we've already covered. But uh, verse 22, let me read that. It says, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. That's primarily directed towards the strong believer in this passage, but it can really apply to anyone. Paul's point is he says, I want you to first bring your thoughts and your opinions to God. Keep them between yourself and God. Search the scriptures as you're trying to figure out, like, what is your opinion on a particular matter? Pray, grow in your convictions between yourself and God. Live a life of faith before God. Remember we read last week, Jesus is our master, no one else. So first and foremost, bring your heart to God and say, God, would you help me in this matter? Would you, would you give me wisdom? Would you give me discernment? And then as you do, as you become more convinced of certain beliefs and practices, you can be more confident in them. That's why he says, he says, blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves, meaning he is so confident in what he believes that he's not swayed by other people. What a blessing that is. That word blessed could also mean happy. It can mean content. It can mean flourishing. You just have a life of flourishing because you're, you're so connected to God that the opinions of others don't even matter. In fact, you might be so connected and convinced of God that you don't even need to talk to someone else about your opinions to get their approval or to try to convince them because you're discontent in and of itself. That's what we would call gospel integrity. The word integrity, my, dad's a, my dad was a math teacher for a while. The word integer is whole number, right? So it means wholeness. Instead of being fractured and fragmented by all sorts of opinions and ideas, you are whole because you're connected to God. You're connected to his word. You are content. So that's verse 20. Oh, by the way, let me mention one thing. When it says, keep your faith between you and God, 
It doesn't mean that you can never say what you believe. It just means that your beliefs and your practices are first and foremost connected with your relationship with God. And then out of that conviction, you certainly can share your opinions as the opportunity arises. But you do it in a kind, gracious, gentle sort of way. So that's verse 22. Verse 23, it says, But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Paul warns us. He says, don't go against your conscience. If you're not sure about something, don't pursue it. If you're not sure, don't dogmatically state that you believe it. If you've got doubts, withhold your opinion. Withhold whatever that practice is that somebody else is doing that you're not sure about yet. Be patient. Seek the scriptures. Spend time with the Lord. And then as you begin to bring your heart to the Lord and you begin to grow in your convictions, then you can, like the stronger brother, be able to have a life of flourishing, have a blessed life where you're content where you're at, where you're content in your walk with the Lord. You're not easily swayed by the opinions of others. Let me just kind of summarize this between the mature believer and the immature believer. I think this is really important to just kind of draw out one more time. So for those of you who are mature in your faith, can I just encourage you to be patient with those who aren't? Don't push your opinions. Be gentle with those who think differently than you. Don't crush them. Come alongside the younger brother or sister in Christ. Love them well. Encourage them. Don't say, hey, oh, when you're older, when you're more mature in faith, you'll figure it out. No. Walk alongside of them. Spend time with them. Help them. Be gentle with them. For those of you who are maybe more immature in your faith, you're kind of growing, you're newer to Christianity, or you're just newer in your walk with the Lord, can I encourage you also to be patient? Be patient with yourself. It's okay. It's okay not to have everything figured out. You don't have to have an opinion on everything yet. It's all right. And can I encourage you not to seek out lots of opinions and lots of perspectives, but first and foremost, seek Christ. Spend time with him. Spend time in his word. Say, Jesus, would you help me? Would you guide me? Would you give me wisdom? Would you give me discernment? Would you give me conviction around this issue? What is the song that we sang earlier? Say, I will wait for you. I will wait for you. On your word, I will rely. I will wait for you. I will wait for you till my soul is satisfied. That's the invitation for really the strong and the weak. One last thing I would encourage you who are maybe younger in your faith. Um, talk to someone who's more mature in their faith. Pursue someone who you admire who's not quick to share their opinion and flaunt their liberties, but instead who's slow and patient and kind, someone who you admire. Spend time with them. Say, hey, can you help me understand this issue more? Can you maybe spend a little time with me so I can grow in my faith? I would love that. Follow them as they follow Christ. Whether you're in the strong or the weak camp on a particular issue, can I also encourage you one other thing? Be open to change. I think about certain issues in my, my early life that I have different convictions about now because I spent time with other believers. It's okay to change. You don't have to be firmly fixed in your opinions and don't let anyone else in. 
Now be open. Share your opinions, certainly, but do it humbly. Do it with openness. Do it with integrity. And then allow God to use their input to maybe even refine your opinion more, to give you a different perspective than you hadn't considered before. So four oaks, those are our three instructions this morning. Don't cause someone to stumble. Do walk in love. Our gospel relationships are at stake. Don't tear down. Do build up. Our gospel witness is at stake. And last but not least, don't ignore your conscience. Do live by faith. Our gospel integrity is at stake. Let me close with a story. It's kind of a fun one because it's kind of heavy, right? Uh, Charles Spurgeon, he was uh, known as one of the greatest preachers of the 19th century. But one of the things he was also known about was kind of, uh, we could say, uh, flaunting his liberties a little bit in Christ. Um, He upset quite a few Christians in his day by some of his lifestyle choices. Um, I have a a beer glass that has his face on it, which is kind of funny. Um, Anyway, but he, in particular, I want to share with you this morning a story about his, his fondness for cigars, okay? So he, uh, in one occasion, he was talking to a young man who approached him, and he said, hey, what should I do with this box of cigars that I was given? Uh, What should I do with it? And Spurgeon was like, "Um, give them to me, and I will smoke them to the glory of God. (laughs) Then another time, somebody else came up to me, he's like, hey, so I know you have a fondness for cigars. Um, uh, You know, what does it look like to smoke in excess for a cigar smoker? I don't want to do that. And he's like, "Uh, smoking two cigars at the same time. So clearly he loved his cigars. But here's what's interesting. At the height of his fame, Spurgeon was walking down the street in London, and he saw a sign in one of the businesses that read this. We sell the cigar that Charles Spurgeon smokes. And right then and there, he realized that he was being known, at least in that store and by that publicity, more for his smoking of cigars than his love for Jesus. And so right then and there, He gave up his practice. He no longer smoked cigars because he didn't want his freedom to cause others to stumble. That was his particular conviction. So he had enjoyed his liberty in Christ to smoke cigars for the glory of God, but he also chose to give up that liberty for the glory of God. And so I didn't mention a lot of issues. Obviously, there's so many of them. That's not the point. The point is, I want you to consider your heart on these matters. Bring your hearts to the Lord. And I'll close with a quote from Martin Luther. He says this. He says, A Christian man or woman is the most free Lord of all and subject to none. In other words, your one master is Jesus. He's the only one who you're to answer to. And yet, he also says this. A Christian man is the most dutiful servant of all and subject to everyone. Both can be true at the same time. I want to honor the Lord, but I also want to serve my brother or my sister. Let's pray. Lord God, we just come to you this morning. Uh, We recognize that there are so many weighty matters that we feel strongly about. Um, We just want to confess to you our hearts in the midst of them. We want to be honoring to you. Certainly, we want to have strong convictions that are rooted in the word of God, that are rooted in wisdom and discernment, that are rooted in our relationship with you. We also want to be really, really careful that we don't flaunt our opinions, that we don't exercise our liberties in such a way that we cause our brother or sister to stumble, that we bring about division in our church, and that ultimately we bring about dishonor to your name. Instead, God, may our liberties be limited by 
our love for you and for our brother and our sister. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Um, We're gonna take the Lord's Supper in just a moment, but I thought I would just sort of prepare our hearts this morning as we take it. I mentioned to you earlier that the church at Rome certainly struggled with some division in the body of Christ, Um, but also alongside of that, the church in Corinth struggled uh, with division as well. And uh, the Apostle Paul was really concerned about this division because it was spilling out into their taking of the Lord's Supper to the point where people would come forward and all the bread would be gone because um, certain people were like, I'm going to take all the bread for myself and I'm not going to let my brother or my sister who I disagree with take the Lord's Supper. And so the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, he says this, and I think this is a great exhortation for us to consider. He says, Jesus, he died for you so that you would be united, not divided. And he says this, he says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, that means without considering your relationships in the body of Christ. It says, whoever does that without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And so then he continues on. He says, so then, my brothers and sisters, when you come together, wait for one another. Go up together to take the Lord's Supper. That's our invitation this morning. I just want to encourage you if if there's been certain, as you're thinking about opinions and you're also thinking about maybe the way that you've related to another brother or sister in Christ, uh, it might be face-to-face, it might be online, it might be any number of different contexts, would you bring that to the Lord this morning? Would you ask him for forgiveness where you have not honored him in that conversation or in that relationship? Would you ask him for help to make things right? And after the service, if you want to talk about it more and seek out wisdom and how to do that well, we'd love to do that. But for right now, just bring your hearts to the Lord, confess your sins to the Lord, and then we'll take the Lord's Supper in just a moment. So bow your heads and close your eyes, and as you do that, I'm going to ask our leaders to come forward.